Hey, thanks for tuning in into the City Life Church podcast. We are a church in San Francisco and we exist so that people that are far from God, we encounter His presence and experience the life that only Christ offers. We pray that this word will challenge you and encourage you in your walk of faith with Jesus. Today I want to conclude this series and the next week we'll have a great friend of the house, Pastor Mark Seagraves will be coming to preach, and I think you're going to be inspired by him. Talk about the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a powerful message. Today, I want to conclude the series that we've been in on called Unstuck. And the reality is there's a lot of people that love God with all their hearts, and yet they find themselves stuck in life. They find themselves stuck in this journey of faith. I can raise my hand because I have found myself getting stuck from time to time, even as a pastor. Come on, somebody. So we need God to continue to help us. And the theme, the key verse for the series has been John 8. 36. And by now you should know it. Why don't you read it on the screen with me? If it pops up somewhere, media team, can y'all see it right there? Let's read it together. So it says, so you are truly free. And yet we've explored the idea that when it comes to freedom, it's actually a choice. Freedom is available, but many of us choose to still get stuck and be stuck. And yet Jesus has made freedom available. So it's our opportunity and responsibility to choose to walk in freedom. There's different reasons why people get stuck, and I've mentioned along the way several reasons, and these are some ideas of why people find themselves stuck. Perhaps they've experienced unexpected setbacks. Hashtag global pandemic. (laughs) It's like, man, what just happened? And uh, they've experienced hurts and frustrations, disappointments, trauma, fear. Maybe they made some poor choices, mistakes, and because of failures, they find themselves now dealing with those consequences. They find themselves confused distractions, things that have come out of nowhere, curveballs, cyclical patterns in their lives, unmet or unreasonable expectations, perhaps generational curses down the family line, spiritual opposition and fill in the blank. People that just find themselves stuck. It's like, man, I, I have a hard time even getting up in the morning. Can I be brutally honest with you through COVID? It's like COVID has tested all of us. From research, as I read, 70, that's big seven zero, 70% of pastors have battled depression through COVID. 70, seven out of 10. So it happens to all of us. All of us, we get up and we put our pants one leg on at a time, correct? We all deal with it because we are all fragile. We all need the grace of God. So we realize that different ones of us experience setbacks and slowdowns in different ways. The struggle is real. And we've explored a few different ideas. If, you, if you've been only hanging with us for a few weeks, I, I'd encourage you to check out our YouTube channel. Different ones of us preach. Pastor Keys preached a great word uh, last week. Can we tell Pastor Keys how much we love and appreciate him? Come on. And that's several different keys, things like releasing forgiveness and talking about how to address sins in our lives and different things like that. So I'd encourage you to check it out and to continue to build your faith. Today, as I wrap things up, The title for this message, if there's a subtitle, that would be this, Evicting Roommates. We're talking about eviction today. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of San Francisco, rent control, and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some of us, we lead our own small groups, and yet we're unaware. Meaning that we, uh, we have entities and roommates that are harassing us and opposing the purposes of God, and I'm going to give you practical keys today to learn how to address that. Because there is a good God, there's a great God, and he's all powerful, but there's also a devil. There are great angels, good angels that work on God's team, and there are fallen angels or bad angels. We call them demons. The Bible tells them that they're evil spirits. They're real as well. So if God is real, the devil is also real. The difference is God is all powerful, and he's given us authority. The reality is, though, many of us, we allow squatters to come and live, so to speak, in the real estate. Are you all with me? Do you all know what squatters are? There's different definitions for squatters, but what I mean in this case, in this context, is people who don't have the authority or the right to be in that specific piece of property, and yet they choose to be there, whether they were invited or not. We're going to talk about that today a little bit. But let me jump into some foundational verses first, and then we're going to unpack this together. Is that all right? Now, listen, the cool thing about this this service today, I'm going to invite the worship team at the end to come, and we're going to have some time to just seek the Lord and worship and just kind of get right with God. And that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, so there's no fear here. There is no like, oh my gosh, this is going to get really awkward. I'm not going to wave no snakes at nobody. Come on, somebody. Um, We're going to talk real talk. This is family talk because, listen, we don't need just little encouragements. Encouragement is good. My assignment as a pastor is to help you get unstuck. And there's just way too many Christians that are stuck. 
stuck in their ways, stuck on their tracks. They can't move out. They can't move on. Why? Because they haven't been properly equipped. So today, this might be a reminder for many of you, or perhaps a first time for many, many of you. And uh, that's my assignment today. So by the grace of God, I'll be able to help you with some practical tools today. Does that sound all right? And like we say around here, a quiet church is a... So holler at your boy, preach with me today. Wave your hankies if you got some. Come on. And, um, and let's do this. So some foundational verses to kind of set the, the tone for the service. Genesis 1:26. You may be familiar with this. It says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. God is all about group, by the way. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's about community. Don't live an isolated life. That's ungodly. Come on, somebody. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Someone say, in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. So when you look down at someone else who has a different color skin or culture than yours, you are actually rejecting someone who was created in the image of God, and that ain't good. We were all created in the image of God. Therefore, we need to respect one another and honor one another, even if they root for the Raiders. <laughs> or Dodgers. But that's a whole other conversation. Genesis 2, 7, then it goes on to say, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed life. He breathed life. Come on, somebody. The breath of life into man's nostrils. Listen, you're not just a, a, an animal. You're not just a, a little creature or creation. You are a God-breathed creation. The pneuma of God, the spirit of God was breathed into you. It says that the breath of life into man's nostrils, that the man became a living person. And then we jacked things up in the garden. We partook of sin, and then all of a sudden we died in our spirit man. And then things got jacked up for, for a few millennia. But Jesus came back, and he came to give us life. And that's why our passion as a community of faith is to help people become fully alive in Jesus. You're not here to coexist or just get by or get through. You're called to live the abundant life, to experience the full life that God purposed for you, for your home, for your family, for your household, for your health, for your dreams. I'm just getting started. In the New Testament, Paul says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Someone say, work in progress. It's the work of sanctification. He says, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Not some ways, but in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So it's a work that is a thorough and through work through and through. God comes to work within us. And how many of you know you gave your life to Jesus and yet you still made some mistakes? You still sinned from time to time. The cool thing is that your identity shifted at the point that you surrendered to God and you no longer are, are the owner or the manager of your own life, so to speak. You're no longer your own boss. When you made that exchange, you say, God, I surrender. Jesus, I receive your life. Here's my crappy life. What a great exchange. At that point, when you signed that pink slip and you gave it over to him and he gave you his perfect life, then what happens is the work of, of, of sanctification begins to happen. He begins to transform us. You're alive to God, and yet your soul is still being worked on. It's a work in progress. And God's faithful. He continues to work in and through all of our lives. Come on, somebody. And it never stops until we are in heaven with him. We're all in this school together. We're all growing. And the, te the, the template, the cover of the puzzle box is Jesus himself. What's our role model? It's not a church. It's not a program. It's not an institution. It's a person. Yeah. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. We talk like Jesus. We live like Jesus. We act like Jesus. We think like Jesus. We prioritize things like Jesus. That's the goal. But Paul is saying here, may the Lord continue that work in all of us, spirit, soul, and body. Are you with me so far? Today I have these three chairs as a bit of a visual. And two weeks ago, I started talking about why is it that we find ourselves in this conflict where we love God. And like Paul says in Romans chapter seven, it's like, we love God. We want to do what's right, but we gravitate towards doing what's wrong. Is it just me that has those tendencies? It's like, I hate doing what's wrong, but I find myself from time to time drifting that way and left to myself, left unchecked. I can gravitate towards this sinful nature that is constantly just duking it out 
with the new nature that Peter says that God has given us. Peter talks about God placing within us all the ingredients, all the elements that we need to live a godly life. And yet, even with all that, there's still this constant battle within all of us. Particularly for me, where I'm kind of stretched is driving through the streets of our community. My sinful nature within me wants to like cut people off, give them the bird. It's like, I just came from a prayer meeting. I should be living a sanctified life. What's, what's going on? The struggle is real. So here we see that God is a three-part being, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He created us in his image. Therefore, we are three-part beings. What you see in the mirror, in my case, it had hair when we started the journey, but there's more to us than just our physical body. There's something here called the soul, your soul realm. This is where you have your mind, your will, your emotions. And then the epicenter, the true you, is this part right here called the spirit. And it says that when, when Adam and Eve partook of the tree, God says, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. They ate of the tree, but physically they didn't die. Emotionally in their soul, they didn't die. But in the spirit, they did die. And what happened was, notice I was a little more quiet today. Like last week or last time, Pastor David, I dropped a chair and people were like, ah. Well, it was a great technique to wake people up in church. So what happened is then people then no longer were being driven, so to speak. Uh, the, the captain's chair was no longer their spirit. It was over here in the soul, which meant that they were being led by their emotions, their feelings. And it says that God would come and hang out with them, but in, in the cool of the day, but then all of a sudden they were, filled, they were filled with shame and guilt, so they had to hide. Why? Because they were led by their emotions and feelings. Truth is this. Jesus comes and he causes us to become born again to him. All of us were, the Bible says that we were all dead in our trespasses. Every single person that is conceived and brought into this world is dead spiritually. Real talk. And that's why we are passionate to reach people that we might grow them to become more like Jesus. We are driven to help people that are dead. It could be your coworkers. It could be family members. It could be neighbors. It could be random strangers. They might have great intentions. Nice people have charity. They might be compassionate. They might root for the giants. Go, he got this, go. But if they don't know Jesus, they're still dead in their spirit. But God continues to compel us to go out and to reach people with his love to help them see there's more to life than just getting by. He wants you to become fully alive that you as a spirit being can relate to a spirit God and no longer be led by the ups and downs, the twists and turns of your emotions. So all of a sudden, it's like we see Jesus comes to give us new life and a full life and a full expression. And the Holy Spirit comes to then indwell us and where he lives because he is a spirit. His name is Holy Spirit, not Holy Soul. Now, listen, I'm just setting the foundation so you can visualize this. His name is Holy Spirit, so he hangs out over here, has communion with your spirit. That's why you could even be tired. You could even be like fatigued. But when you begin to pray in tongues, when you begin to pray in the spirit, your spirit now is partnering with the Holy Spirit and you find yourself being strengthened. You find yourself being encouraged. And all of a sudden, your soul that was down and tired and dismayed, all of a sudden, it takes a backseat over here because you're not being led by your emotions. You're being led by the spirit of God who is enthroned in this chamber of your life. May that God come and grow us, spirit, soul, and body. And yet the, the, the sad reality is when it comes to this chamber right here, the Holy Spirit continues to give us a new nature. He continues to produce his fruit within our own lives, the fruit of the spirit. If you read in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the sinful nature immorality, all these different greed, all these different sins. That's a consequence and a reality of the sinful nature that is still within us. And yet the Holy Spirit, he's like, hey, don't partner with those dudes over there. Partner with me. My grace is sufficient for you. I will do what you can do. And I'm going to give you some practical pointers today on how to surrender to God more than just singing the songs intellectually, but even more than intellectually, in your soul and in your spirit, how do we learn how to truly surrender to God? How do we forge an alliance with the Holy Spirit rather than teaming up with our flesh? I'm hungry, feed me. When's this sermon going to be over? Just tell the body, zip it. Man, I could preach on this for a minute. The visuals. Why is there so much tension? Why is it that we people who love God 
How is it that we oftentimes, though we love Jesus, we still choose to do things that don't honor God? We've got the Holy Spirit himself who indwells us. He lives inside of us. And yet oftentimes we gravitate to like, we're not speaking in tongues, but we go, la, 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 I'm not listening. And we do our own thing. True? Real talk? And we're led by our emotions, our instinct, our, our reasonings, and we're not led by the Spirit of God. Paul does this whole conversation in Romans chapter 8 and beyond, talking about we are children of the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We should choose to default and to defer to his leadership. And yet the battle is real. We struggle right here in this dimension right here. The struggle isn't so much over here. And it shouldn't be over here. The working out is important. Come on, somebody, Pastor Isaac. This, we are... The three-part chambers, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, so we got to take care of all three. The struggle, the battle happens right here. You've heard the saying that the battle is in the mind, right? We're not talking your brain. That's not what it's referring to. It's your mind. It's, it's found in your soul. The ability to reason, the emotions that are attached to it, and how that triggers your desires and your will to desire to do certain things. I'm going to explore that a little bit more today. Are you with me so far? Check out these verses real quick as I continue to um, establish some foundations. We're going to work on some walls now to this house. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus is talking here, and he's teaching about this, the, hey, hey, my words, what I'm teaching you more than just hearing these words, I want you to apply these principles. I want you to apply these truths is what he's, he's saying. And he's doing this whole discord and he's, this conversation, and, uh, and then he says, listen, when you listen to these words of mine, it's like, well, it's a story like a wise builder and a foolish builder. And this is what he says. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. And then he goes to say, but a foolish person, though, they listen to my words, they come to church, they even join small groups. Come on, somebody. But if they don't act upon the word of God and apply it personally, not just intellectually, they're like a foolish man building a house. And not if, but when the storms come, that house will collapse. So it's not just hearing. James says, don't just be hearers of the word. Do what it says. So we hear the word of God, but then we apply it and we begin to act upon the word of God. And he says that that's like a wise man building a house. And the metaphor used here is that our lives are like a house. Your life is like a house and it's a partnership. Jesus is building it, but you have the responsibility to partner with him to build your house. You can choose your growth rate. You can choose to just have a few little foundational stones and some half walls. And like that's the condition of your life. But God's grace is there to help you to build a strong house. Someone say house, the house of God. And the concept, there's different metaphors used through Scripture referring to us human beings. I like this analogy of the house because it is construction. It is work in progress. There needs to be intentionality. So here's the first thought. A person's life is like a house. That's the metaphor. Metaphor. Your, your, your life is like a house that is being built. Are you maintaining the house? Are you cleaning the house? Come on, somebody. And that's a whole other conversation for parents and children and everything else, spouses, roommates, whatever. First uh, Corinthians, Paul says it like this. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? In other words, you are a temple or a house for the Holy Spirit. He's speaking both to the individual, but to the collective church in Corinth. He says, you, God doesn't need a physical shell, a physical building. You are his house. You are his temple that he comes to indwell. So here's the thought. A person's life is like a house or a temple for the Holy Spirit. So you are not just designed to just kind of like keep the bad, evil spirits out, but you are actually designed. Listen to me. You were designed and created to have Holy Spirit himself come and indwell your life. It's not just good enough to keep evil spirits out. You need a Holy Spirit in. Come on, somebody. It's not good enough to, quote, unquote, keep things organized intellectually in your life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, the presence of God filling your life through and through. Some of y'all allow the Holy Spirit to come to the front room, and that's as much access as he's got to you. And he doesn't have access to the kitchen. Come on, somebody. To, 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 to your master bedroom or to, listen, he doesn't deserve a guest bedroom. He deserves the whole house. He purchased you with a price. Therefore, he's the owner of the whole house. 
So don't just do church on Sunday mornings and entertain a little worship service and pretend like, hey, everything's all good, but I got it from here for the rest of the week. No, if he's the Lord of your life, he owns the whole house. Revelation 3.20, John says it like this. Jesus, he's having this vision of heaven, and Jesus begins to speak to him. In Revelation 3.20, says, here I am. I stand at the door, and I knock. And he goes on to say, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I come in and eat with that person, and they eat with me. The analogy, the metaphor, again, is our lives. We're like a house, and a house has windows, and it has doors. And Jesus stands at the door by his spirit. He stands and he wants to engage in community with us. He wants to be included in our lives. He doesn't want to just, just be an accessory or a sign on the front lawn that says, I voted for Jesus. He actually wants to be a part of your day-to-day -day activities. He wants to hear what you have to say. He wants to hear what you're thinking about, what you're dreaming about. He wants to engage in conversation with you. So you're not, he's not just a guest. Come on, that's what you can do when you're just a spectator, when you're just kind of entertaining a relationship with God. You talk to him long distance, but at the point that you invite him into your life, he wants to come and hang with you. And do life with you and eat and exchange ideas and you get the metaphor. So here's the big idea. We're setting this whole thing up. Here's the big idea for today. The house or your life was never meant to be empty. Who or what you allow inside is actually totally up to you. Totally up to you. I remember um, my, in my Latino culture, any Brazilians in the room today? We had a store in Brazil called Obochicario. Obochicario. You all want to try that? Try to say some Portuguese words? Say Bochicario. And that was a cologne or a perfume shop. And, um, and then it, it was kind of like customary, like you'd buy people colognes and perfumes. I always found that to be a little sketchy because what if, what if you buy them a perfume that, that is expensive that they don't like? It's a personal choice. Husbands, let me encourage you with this thought. Allow your wife to choose whatever she likes. It's not about you. It's about what she likes. Whatever, when a, a happy wife makes for a happy life, right? But just saying, I remember this one friend of mine, he bought this cologne, and it smelled good. But I, back then, it's like it wasn't the spray. You put a couple little drops on the wrist, side of the face, and it's like, mm-mm-mm-mm. Yes, smells good. But he wouldn't put a couple little drops. He had to grab the thing and go, and bathe himself in this. We believe in water baptism, but not bochicario baptism. And what would happen was whenever he would come into any room, gathering, wherever we were at, he would come and you could smell his presence. And we could hang for a few minutes and maybe he would leave. The, the meeting was over, the get together, the hangout was over. And though he had left, he was still with us. I'm going to talk about that today a little bit because there's some of us, we allow certain things in our lives, and even though we've repented, we've still allowed the fragrance to remain. And why is it that we find ourselves still stuck? Oh, let's go there. Can we go there? Let's go there. The reason that so many people are stuck is because of who or what they allow inside their house. That's the reason. I'm talking about spiritual things now. I'm not talking about like legitimate people, though that could be an issue too. Some of you right now, like you're trying to write the email to your roommates. I'm, I'm going to evict you. <laughs> I'm not talking about people. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but if powers and principalities, spiritual entities, that's what we're talking about today. So check out this context or this verse here from Luke. Jesus had been talking and he, his disciple like, Jesus, you're amazing. Like when you pray, that's incredible. Teach us how to pray. So he, he starts teaching them how to pray. And then this person that comes, they're demonized. And they're straight up like jacked up with demons. And um, Jesus casts the demons out. And people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. You must be like demonized yourself. And Jesus is like, bruh. I'm like, and then he says, a house divided amongst itself can't stand. If that person was demonized and I'm demonized, it's like, why would we actually fight against each other? And he has this whole conversation. And he's talking about this authority that God has given him. Like, man, God just has to like flick his finger and like all these demons have to flee. That's the power of God. And it brings to this verse right here where he says, when an evil spirit goes out of a person, it travels over dry country looking for a place to rest. If it can't find one, it says to itself, where is Fresno? No, just kidding. It's a whole other conversation. It's my friends in Fresno. Love y'all. Love you. 
if it can't find that dry place, it says, I will go back to my house. Someone say house. house. Notice how it personalizes. I will go back to my house. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Think about that. So it goes back and it finds the house cleaned and all fixed up. Jesus, again, is talking about people. I'm talking about a physical house. The metaphor is the house representing people. Then it goes out and it brings seven other spirits even worse than itself. And they come and they live there. So when it is all over, that person is in worse shape than at the beginning. Some will say that you've maybe heard of the seven deadly sins. Those are the seven friends maybe that this demon spirit was inviting. Let's go wreak some havoc. Here's the question. I want you to ponder and think about this. How do evil spirits have access to a person's house? How, how, how do evil spirits have access to you? If you love Jesus, if you've been born again and the Holy Spirit lives, lives inside of you, if, he, if, if this is his seat and he's enthroned in this part of your life, how is it that Christians can actually have demonic spirits influencing them, oppressing them, rejecting them? How is that possible? The answer? Doors that are left open. You have a house that you're called to maintain and to guard. But many of us, we are gullible and naive because we open ourselves to the outside and we leave the doors wide open and unlocked. So then though we, go, though we have great intentions for ourselves, for our families, we, we, we open our hearts. Come on, somebody. The eyes are the gate to your soul. We open our hearts and our lives, our soul to unclean spirits that come. And they're kind of stealthy because they come and they might hang out and influence your physical body. All of a sudden, you're like, man, is this like a, a medical condition or is this a spirit of infirmity? Why doesn't my body have to deal with all this stuff? Where did that come from? And you can pop all the Excedrin and Tylenol and Ibuprofen all day long. But if it's a spirit of infirmity, not even the doctors can help you. Why is it that so many Christians deal with these issues and they find themselves stuck? It's because... Doors have been left open. And where I find, at least from my personal life and in pastoring for over 25 years with my wife, the area that the enemy bombards the most is this one right here. Your thoughts, your will, your imagination, your sense of identity and purpose. And all of a sudden, he teams up with a sinful nature. And all of my friends watching online, you know what I'm talking about. Throw those emojis on the screen. I see hearts floating up from everywhere. Teresa's with us and Lamia and different ones. Preach with the preacher. The enemy comes and he begins to harass us in our ability to think and reason. And pretty soon we start questioning, what is our identity? Am I a child of God or not? And going to church becomes religion rather than just a, a heart of gratitude. God, you're so good to me. I love being in your presence. I love hanging out with the people of God. And we allow difficult circumstances the circumstances around us, I'm not dismissing them. They are difficult, but we allow them to determine our level of passion and trust and worship. And rather than being all that God's called us to be and to be fully alive, we are just kind of stuck and we're getting through. We're hoping to just kind of get through another season, wake up, and hopefully things are going to be a little bit better. So let me give you four different doors these are my analogies. It's not scripture. You're not going to find these analogies in scripture. It's just how I frame it the way I see it. So that's the disclaimer right up front. All right. By the way, we teach doctrine classes. If you want to be equipped in your journey of faith, Pastor Isaac and our team, we're developing a whole new track for you to grow in your faith, our building blocks class. If you haven't taken it, you got to take it. Learn these things. All right. Four different doors. One of the major doors, and I preached about it just a couple weeks ago, and that is unforgiveness. It's not when, it's not if people are going to hurt you and tick you off. They will. When people hurt you, you have to choose to forgive because if you don't, you're allowing this door to stay open. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, hey, the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says that concerning the guy that you've, you've forgiven, if you've forgiven him, I forgive him too. Why? We're not unaware of Satan's devices or schemes. 
If I don't choose to forgive that person, I'm allowing this door to stay open in my heart. And all of a sudden, it's, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. Reminding you, you didn't deserve God's forgiveness. And he was so crazy about you, though you were jacked up just like me, messed up in our sins. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die this ultimate death. Come on, somebody. So it's not based on fairness or deserving. People may not deserve you to forgive them, but it's not about them. It's about you being free. So if you want to be free, you got to forgive them and close that door. Unforgiveness is a major, major doorway. And in my context, I don't know if you've seen some of those beautiful Victorian houses that have two doors that open up like this, right? Here in the city, we have like half doors. It's like, but like, like these big old houses, right? Unforgiveness to me is like the front door. It's so major because we all get hurt by people. Jesus said, by and by offenses, they're going to come. It's going to happen. It's par for the course. You do this thing called life, someone's going to take you off. So closing that door, choosing to forgive them, and it's on the daily. It's not an emotion right here. It's not based on your feelings. Ah, today I just feel like forgiving them. No, it's a conviction. I'm choosing. I'm going to partner Holy Spirit. I can't do this out of my own strength. I need you to team up with me. And as the Holy Spirit, as you spend some time seeking him, he gives you the courage to then choose to forgive. And as you forgive, that door is shut. But there's a few other doors. I'm going to simplify because I've heard different preachers use this analogy before. Multiple doors, seven different. I'm just going to give you four thoughts. This is my sermon, so I'm going to preach it the way I like it. All right. Front door would be unforgiveness. The side door would be what I call deliberate sins. Sometimes we sin and it's like it's still that sinful nature in us. We didn't mean to. It's like we weren't planning on it. But all of us are like, where did that come from? Like, geez, like, man, you kind of feel bad. God, I'm so sorry about that. And then you move on. But then there are times when we, we know. We know. Like, uh, I know it's not right, but I'm kind of feeling like I really want this right now. So, uh, and God is a God of forgiveness, so maybe I'll just do it. And then, like, later I'll, like, okay, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And, like, anybody else do that? That's why I wanted the lights to be turned on today, because I want to see you all today. And cool thing about this sermon, no one's asleep. I like that. <laughs> Deliberate sins. And can I, can I just take it to one more level? Just like, can I go there? Oh, look, look, the lights are coming on. Oof, the Lord said, let there be lights. <laughs> see, I see. Yeah, Joseph, I see you. Great, <laughs> Great man of God right there. Um, Sins, deliberate sins, they're intentional, they're deliberate. Like you know full well that what you're about to say or do is not godly. It's not, it's not, it's not going to honor the Lord, and you still do it. It's like, how did that happen? God has changed your identity. You're no longer labeled a sinner. When, when Jesus comes into your life now, you are actually labeled a saint. A saint. Why? Because you've got a new nature. But yet, even though you have a new, a new identity, you still gravitate, and we gravitate towards sinful ways. Real talk, right? Where it gets really, really, really awkward and very obvious that there's something like beyond the line. It's sexual sins, particularly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me go there. Yes, I'm going to go there. Sexual sins. Why? Because sex is one of the most sacred things any human being can partake in. See, the devil, he's powerful. I can sing the song, I believe I can fly, but I can't unless I board United Airlines. Physically, I'm limited. There's, I have limitations. The devil has all kinds of different opportunities. Like he's not dying physically. He can only be at one, one place at one time, but he has powers. He, has, he actually has power. I was watching a documentary of like this, this, this demonized dude in Brazil who would heal people. And it's like, wow, this person had a, a cancerous tumor. Now they're healed. Now that's fake magic, but it, it, it's still real in a sense. It's the devil, though, there's one thing that he hates about you. Several things, but there's one in particular that really, really gets to him. Because you and I were created in the image of God, spirit, soul, and body, when you give your life to Jesus, listen, like Jesus is, man, you're, you're close to him. You actually, even people who don't know Jesus, they actually get to participate in something that God created. I'm talking about sex. That the devil gets to, can't be a part of. He can emulate and pretend and corrupt but in sex along with pleasure you have the ability to create other eternal beings 
When a, when a man and a woman come together and they have sex, they can create a being that is eternal. It has a beginning but no end. And the devil can't do that. He can imitate. He can try to put on all kinds of different shows and facades, but he can't create or else he'd be multiplying himself all along. But he can't. He can't multiply demonic spirits. So he hates that about you. And because he hates the ability that we have, he tries to corrupt it. He tries to cheapen it. Where now it's just two activity or an activity between two people or more than two people. And he takes the sacredness. That's why Hebrews says the, the bed is sacred unto God. You were created in the image of God to be like God. And when it comes to immorality, when it comes to sexual sins, we are like God in that he allows us the privilege of being like him and creating other eternal beings. Thus, it's such a high responsibility. But the enemy comes to corrupt that. He comes to destroy it and cheapen it. And all of a sudden, sex is like, well, putting on different shoes. It's like, I'm going to sleep with this person, that person pretty soon. There's no true intimacy with them. There's no true legitimate connection with them. Listen, whoever creates something gets to define it. You weren't born last night. And surely you weren't the one who created this concept of procreation or reproduction. The God who designed you with a purpose, he's the one who gets to define how it works. And therefore, we go to the blueprint called the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. God, what's the best way for this to be fulfilled in my life? Because I want to honor you. And what happens is that the enemy then plays with us in this area particularly. And you could steal some Twinkies or stickers from 7-Eleven and the guilt might come, but it's just momentary. But when you, when you have sexual compromise, the guilt lingers. Real talk. It lingers. Why? It's so sick. Now, all sin, sin is sin, straight up. Sin is sin. Sin means to miss the mark, the standard that is God. But different sins have different consequences. They're not equal in the sense of the aftermath. All sin has been conquered at the cross. Jesus has forgiven us of all sins, past, present, and future. But we live with the results. So the enemy comes to bombard. So when we talk about deliberate sins, I call that the side door. We, we've released forgiveness towards others, but we go home and we grab our phones and we check out some porn sites. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, how did that happen? The real talk in church. You've forgiven people. You ain't holding a grudge towards anybody. But you have a door. Come on in, fellas. It's as easy as a click here, click there, on-screen devices, HBO. Fill in the blank. That's a whole other conversation, Pastor David. It got real quiet up in here. Woo! I told you today, though, ma'am. I'm trying to help you, though. My assignment isn't just to cheer you on, though I love you and I cheer you on. Let's go play volleyball. I'm here to help some people. There are people that are stuck. You need to be set free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed, but you got to choose freedom. Don't coddle the sin. Don't pretend like you're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. Call it out. Recognize it. Say, I'm not going to have any agreement with this no more. Close that side door. Fill in the blank with whatever the sins would be. Deliberate, intentional sins. You know it doesn't honor God. As soon as you have the little check in your spirit, like, eh, I wonder if God. The fact that you would ask, I wonder if God would be pleased, that's already an indicator. He's not. Don't do it. Do not proceed. Ooh, I'm preaching good today. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> here's, another, here's another door. It's the, what I call the garage door. Now, in San Francisco, that... That may not be as relevant because many of us don't have garage doors in the city. The garage door for me is occultic practices. We're, we're like, man, but it's kind of fun to watch magic or whatever. Like, look, if it doesn't honor God, stay away. And the reason I call it a garage door is because we think that the garage is not part of the house. So we can actually open that door and allow certain things to be entertained. And we kind of like... But I'm not, let, I'm not letting anything come into the living room or the kitchen. It stays in the garage. That's not really part of the house. Yes, it is. Ask any appraiser of your real estate house square footage. They include the garage square foot. It's part of your house. You may not live there. It's part of your house. So when Pastor Keys was talking about horoscopes, stay away. 
Why would you listen to a man-made, like, listen, I love Chinese food and the little cookies are delicious. But if those were real, everyone would win the lottery. Come on, somebody. Right? Stay away from, from man-made or fake or demonic-inspired magic tricks or whatever. That's not of God. It doesn't please him. And, and to God, it says that witchcraft to God is like an abomination. It's an insult. It's like you're giving him the bird. He's the ultimate creator. All authority and power comes from him. We don't have to, like, settle for something that's cheap like that. Tap into him. That's a garage door. That's a... That's an easy one right there. Ouija board, stay away. Anything that glorifies something that, but anyways, you, you get the point. And then finally, I, I call this the back door. So it's four different doors. Front door, for unforgiveness. Side doors, deliberate sins. Garage door, occultic practices. The back door, generational curses. Because it comes from behind you. You never saw it coming. Family curses. Your grandpa, your grandma, your parents, great-grandpa, they... They did something, and there were spells placed on your family, your family line. The Bible talks about the curses of the fathers up to four generations, the blessings of God to a thousand generations. But it doesn't negate the fact that there are still evil spirits that are still cursing family lines. And you love God, and you came, you came to Jesus, and you love him, but there's a door that's open in the back that you didn't know. I didn't even know I had a door back there. Family lines. And again, because I was born and raised in Brazil, the Latin culture, we understand spiritism. We, we understand what it, Macumba, we understand what that is. We understand going into these little, these houses. You talk about tarot cards. Y'all like want to get messed up. I'm, I'm teaching, I'm dropping some truth today, all right? Where spells are placed on you, but those spells aren't just for you. It's for, your gener for generations to come. Again, today, there's no fear in the house of God. Maybe you're not able to identify what's happened in your life, but there are roommates that have been roaming in your life since you were born. Though you perhaps yourself were not brought to a spiritist center, maybe grandpa dedicated the family. Maybe they found themselves in a very difficult time where they needed money, so they make a pact with the devil, so to speak, for provision or for healing, for whatever. All of a sudden, there's a generational curse that's going into the generations. You never signed up for it yourself. You're a victim of this. You still got to close the back door. But before you close the back door, kick those, those roommates out. If you close those doors and they're still in there, not good. But I'm going to show you how to do that today. I'm going to teach you how to do that today. Recognizing who's, who's allowed in here and who's not allowed up in here. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? Can I keep going? I know we got a barbecue in a few minutes, but today is fuego. I call this portion right here prisoner in your own home. Some of you, you, you love Jesus and there's freedom available, but you're a prisoner in your own life. You go to church, you drag, your, you drag your sorry butt to church and you're still a prisoner. Why? Why are so many people entangled in sins and sinful ways? Hebrews 12, it says, don't, be, don't, don't trip. That would be Pastor Keyes' version. Don't trip, bro. <laughs> don't be entangled in these sinful ways. Why do people find themselves entangled? They love God. And the writer is talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers and he's exhorting them and encouraging them. Why are you entangled? Why do you trip up on these sins? The sin of unbelief particularly he's talking about. Why? Two thoughts. One, because your soul is not fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. You love him. He, he bought you from a place of disconnection from God. You no longer are bound to hell. But you're not fully surrendered. Your spirit might be surrendered to God, but your soul isn't. Maybe parts of your soul are, but not all of your soul is surrendered to God. So the reason, you can sing songs, but if you don't act upon it, you, they're just words. They're just words. You have to truly choose to surrender. God, I surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to you. You can sing the song. But not, all, but not be fully surrendered. That past pain, that frustration, that broken relationship, those disappointments, those setbacks, that trauma. If it's not fully surrendered, God, would you just come and take it all? That's why Jesus said, man, cast your cares upon me, man. Like those things that, that trip you up, those pains. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Jesus says, man, latch on to me, man. Connect with me. 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You don't have to carry your own burden. The only reason that Christians carry a heavy burden is because when they're yoked up to Jesus and they want to go back to their sinful ways, ah, 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 the neck. I, I'm, I'm being pulled towards my sinful ways. Ah, if you lean towards him, towards the Holy Spirit, his yoke is easy. I'm surrendered to you, Lord. Lead me. And as he's leading you, his burden is light. But then the sinful nature, come back. You know you like it. You know you want it. Uh, and that guilt and that shame and that weight. Uh, his yoke is easy and the burden is light as long as you're teamed up with him. The reason so many believers are entangled in their sins is they're not fully surrendered. You're leaning the wrong way. And the second thought would be, Man, it's quiet up in here. Ooh, I hope y'all are like building your appetite for that barbecue. Marco, am I preaching a good word, bro? Is that a good word? Yeah, yeah, all right, thank you. The second reason is roommates that are teaming up with your carnal nature, the sinful nature. So part of you says, I want, God, I want you, I want your spirit. And then you've got some roommates, these are evil spirits that come and they have access to your mind. Like, no, but God's gonna disappoint you again. You were praying for that breakthrough and it never happened. Other friends, other people who didn't deserve it, they didn't come to church. They weren't tithing. They didn't do outreach and somehow they got their breakthrough, but you didn't. I don't know about this God thing. Maybe it's just something in your brain. Maybe this is a sick joke, this whole religion thing where you do church. They just want your money. <laughs> Y'all notice we don't pass offering buckets around. It's not, our church has a culture of generosity. I don't even have to, we barely have to mention it to you guys. And you're like, let's give. Thank you for your generosity. Because of your generosity, we're able to send thousands of dollars. Recently, we just blessed, we're in the process of sending money to Haiti, people that we know, Afghanistan. Thank you. We didn't have to twist arms. People want to make a difference. That's a whole different conversation. They just want your money. So you got these roommates that are talking you out of the will of God. You go to a service, you come to pursue prayer night, God begins to speak to you, and he begins to give you downloads of his heart and his will. He's speaking truth into your heart, and you're listening like, I feel better about myself. I have a great future. God wants to do great things, and you come home, and all of a sudden, you're like kicking back, drinking that beer, and all of a sudden, it's like, that was hype. That wasn't a prophetic word. They were stalking you on social media. And you talk yourself out of God's will for your life because you've listened. They hurt you. They didn't care about you. If they cared about you, they would have pursued you some more. They would have listened. And then you get these little voices that are just kind of like whispering. And these roommates keep you from God's destiny. Let me tell you this. The word possession, demon possession, it actually doesn't even exist in Scripture. When translated from Greek into English, some translators use the word possession, this woman that was possessed. Technically, that word doesn't exist in the Greek. The Greek word there is the word demonizomai, which means to be vexed with a demon or like a pregnant woman who is carrying a child. You are carrying a demon. And it's like, so you're not possessed, but you are harassed, oppressed, obsessed, whatever the word would be. The word possession doesn't exist, but sometimes people are like, but Pastor John, John I, I thought Christians, it's like the Holy Spirit possessed me. Like, can I actually have evil spirits controlling me or influencing me? The answer is yes. And I've actually seen people that are straight up, and I'll use the term loosely, possessed. They have no control of their own physical bodies like we read in the Gospels, the man that had like a, a legion of demons. Fully, those demons take control of the individual. How, is that, how does that happen? Well, for one, those demons don't have access to this realm. That person is dead to the things of God. And if because, because they're living out of this place right here of the soul, and this is the place where roommates occupy, those roommates team up and they can actually, quote, possess the person and lead them to live a life that is ungodly, that leads them down the wrong track. A believer, someone who's given their life to Jesus, they are possessed by the Holy Spirit. This is good theology right here. This is very easy. The Holy Spirit comes as the temple. You are now a recipient, a place, a chamber for the Holy Spirit to come and to indwell. So you are possessed by him. He doesn't share room with evil spirits, but you can still be harassed. 
you can still be oppressed. You can still have influences, demonic influences that continue to harass you and undermine the purposes of God. And you say, but greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Yes, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But who'd you let in your house? That preached, right? God is greater than all those things, but they only have access to you if you allow them in the house. They can only harass you and oppose you if you allow them into the house. Talking about doors, close the doors. Recognize what God is doing and choose to close the doors. Is this good? A couple more minutes and it's a wrap. Are we good? So here's a solution. Woo! Let's get to the solutions. Let's go there. First John 3, it says this. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Oh, snap. Is that, is that what the Bible says? Yep. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. So choose not to sin. And then it goes on. Who has been sinning since the beginning? But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. One of the reasons he came was to destroy the works of the devil. Where? In your life. In my life. He comes to destroy so Jesus came to rescue people and to destroy the works of the enemy. And then Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, this is Jesus now. He's reading from the scroll in Isaiah, a prophecy about him himself. And then he begins to read it one day. It's chapel time, synagogue. And he's reading the reading of the day. And as Ben plays that beautiful music, watch what Jesus says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Real talk. Jesus saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The spirit of God is resting upon Jesus. And why did Jesus come? He came to minister to the whole man. To set the captives free. Jesus came to, to deliver us from those things that would wreak havoc the oppression that we experience he came to did he what jail did jesus go to through the gospels when you read the gospels did he actually go to jail hey guys today i'm doing a cell ministry knocking on every cell door and just kind of coming to comfort you and talk about the kingdom of god there's no recording of jesus going to a physical jail but if he came to set captives free where is the captivity happening he came to heal the what brokenhearted. Where is that? It's not talking about your physical heart, but some of you have a broken heart and we believe in Kaiser Permanente. Go get some help too. All right. Talking about your emotions right here. He came to heal the brokenhearted. When people let you down, when they hurt you, when they inflicted that pain, when it deeply bruised you, he came to heal that. He comes to restore that. He comes to make you new. If you feel that you're all alone, that no one cares, he came for you. That's his job description, to destroy the works of the enemy and to restore you. He loves you that much. And it's a partnership in restoring you. He has to drive away these roommates, these haters, these opposers. He wants to drive them out. Jesus then came to minister to the whole man. Genesis 4, verse 6 and 7. Before the first murder in scripture is recorded, God comes and he begins to speak to Cain and Abel. Particularly in this case, he speaks to Cain and he says this, Why are you angry, bruh? Said the Lord to Cain. And why has your countenance fallen? By the way, this had to do with worship. This dude was upset because his brother literally was worshiping God in a way that pleased God. And, and Cain's like, that's just not right. That's deadly right there. Start comparing yourselves with other other worship expressions and how God is working and dealing with other people. That's, that's deadly. So God's like, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you just honor God, don't you think God's going to honor you? But if you refuse to do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires you. Another version says it wants to devour you. Sin is crouching where? At the door of your heart and it wants to devour you it desires you but it says but you must master it take control over it don't deny it don't pretend like it's not there sin wants access to your heart the enemy doesn't play fair he plays for keeps and you'll take a few L's along the way 
But he's looking for the access point. And he's knocking at the door of your heart. Let me in. That person hurt you. That leader hurt you. That person that, that had influence in your life, they disappointed you. He's knocking, crouching at the door of your heart, looking for that opportunity to come in. And it wants to devour you. But he's patient. He's been there for a while. He'll take his time. He'll creep in quietly. Shh. Keep it quiet. Don't disrupt. And down the road, when you least expect it, ah, he steps up. In Genesis, God is already telling us from the very beginning, recognize it and take control over it. Master it. James 4, 7 in the New Testament says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The key there is submitting. Submitting to God. Submit to God. Listen, submit to God. Don't submit to an organization. It's not submission to church. It's not submission to a pastor. Submit to God. Submit to God. Don't just resist the devil. Give him the hand. Submit to God. It starts with submit yourselves to God. Holy Spirit, I'm submitting myself to you. I'm surrendering to you. It's not my will, but your will be done. I'm submitting to you, God. I have these tendencies, these propensities. I feel like going back, but God, I surrender to you. As you submit, then all of a sudden, there is power in the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, like, mm. Holy Spirit begins to bring. And like, you know what? I'm tired of these roommates that keep like, I'm tired of you harassing my family like that. I'm tired of you coming and bombarding my mind like that. In the name of Jesus, I command you, get out of my house. Get the hell out of my house. Literally, get the hell out. Take hell with you. Close that door. And you come in agreement with the Holy Spirit. You drive away these spirits. I'm almost done. Two minutes. Two minutes is good. I'm trying to give you some, I'm, I'm trying to help some folks today. So pastor, like, what do I got to do? Do I pray three Hail Marys? and like, no, you don't. Rapid fire, seven thoughts, Felicia, seven thoughts. Number one, when it comes to these areas, first of all, you got to pray about it. Pray about it. Quiet everything around you. Just still everything and pray, pray. God, I need help. Why do these things keep happening in my, my, my life, my family, my home, my children, my spouse, my mom, whoever? Pray. Quiet everything down because pray is a two-way conversation. If you're doing all the talking, slow down and listen. What is God speaking to you? Pray. Wait on the Lord. Seek Him. It's this idea of fully surrendering to the Holy Spirit. If He's already indwelling in you, just stop the noise and listen to Him. What's He speaking to you about? And then he'll begin to identify areas in your life that need to be surrendered. He'll tell you the attitude that you have towards your spouse, that's wrong. That's not right. How you talk to your co, that's not right. How you're stealing time or money from your employer, that's not right. All of a sudden, he actually starts quickening things in your life. The attitude that you had towards Pastor David, that's not right. <laughs> All the Brazilians inside jokes right here. And he begins to quicken what you need to address. And then, so you're praying, and then, number two, you see it. Recognize it. As the Holy Spirit reveals, see the core issue. What's going on? See it. Don't coddle it. Don't dismiss it. See it for what it is. You've asked him to reveal it to you. He will. Now see it. Don't start blame shifting. But God, you don't understand. My mom made me do it. Stop. Blame shifting goes all, back, all the way back to the garden. He made me eat of that tree. Like, stop. See it for what it is. Number three, own it. Prayed about it. You see it. Now you own it. Don't blame shift, but be honest about it. Own it. That's you. That's you. Yeah, but that other person, they're really messed up. You should see their house. That's their house. Their problem. This is your house. He's dealing with you. Own it. Number four, repent of it. This is where you take, this is where action, this is where the rubber meets the road. Now repent. Whether you signed up for it or not, whether you're a victim of this or not, it doesn't matter. Roommates don't belong there. You repent of it. Ask the Holy Spirit to forgive you. God, I'm sorry. Many of those things we are aware of, many are not. We're not. Either way, just repent of it. Say, Lord, I surrender fully to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry the, the hurt that it's brought you. I, I, I repent from this. Number five. So you repent of it. Number five, renounce it. Renouncing it means that you take back any, any verbal vows or commitments that you made towards something. I will never be like that. That was a vow you made. 
I will never forgive that person. That's a vow. It's a promise. Never. Take that back. When you renounce it, it's like you're undoing a contract. You don't need a notary public for that. Holy Spirit is already there. He recognizes your signature. He knows your heart. Take it back. Nullify. Cancel it. You renounce it. God, I'm sorry that I said never. I would never forgive them. God, I, re I break agreement with that. I, I just, I, I nullify, avoid it out. I cancel it out. I undo it. Which brings us to point number six. Now you break it. You break that agreement. You break that commitment. You break that partnership. You've been partnering with this thing long enough. You break it. I am fed up with this. I am done with this sin in my life. I, I, I don't desire you. In the, in the flesh, I want you, but I know what's wrong, so I'm going to break it off. I cut you off I, like a rope. I cut you off. I sever it. I break it. You no longer have mastery over me. I belong to the Holy Spirit. I don't belong to you. Jesus bought me with his own blood. My life belongs to him. I don't belong to you. I don't belong to my past. I don't belong to generational curses. I belong to the Holy Spirit. I've owned it. I've repented from it. I renounced it. And now I break you off. I command you to leave, which brings you now to number seven. Seal it. Seal it and command it to go in the name of Jesus. You know what? I'm sick and tired of these lying habits in my life. I'm not going to coddle lies any longer. This tendency, well, auntie would lie and she was like Irish or, 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 or whatever the, the, the nationality. And you use it as some kind of an excuse for anger or drunkenness or whatever. You recognize what it is and you say, I renounced it and I kick you out. I'm not going to live with this anymore. And you close that door. Seven easy steps, but they're not that easy. It takes courage. It takes surrender. It takes obedience to him. As I invite you to stand to your feet, the key verse for the season and the series, if the sun sets you free, then you are truly free. But you got to choose freedom. As my team comes to help clear the stage, and I was, I was actually praying that that door wouldn't tip over because they didn't have little like bases right there. But Roberto and the team, if you guys can remove all this right here. I want to pray for us, the worship team. I'm going to invite you to come back on the platform. I want to give you an opportunity now to respond, all right? Some of us are like, dang, it's really late. Listen, it's worth your investment. This is where you and God connect right here. This is where you and God connect. I want to give you an opportunity to surrender to Holy Spirit today. I'm going to lead us out in this prayer, and then our team is going to lead us out in worship. Thank you, guys. You're amazing. Impromptu. Pablo, can you come and grab this bro right here? Thank you, sir. I want to lead us out in this prayer of surrendering to him. I want to encourage you. Don't do life alone. You might, yeah, is this like a pitch to join a group? It's actually easier to do life in group than alone. If you haven't joined a life group, I encourage you, join a life group. Like, join a life group. Connect with others. In November, we're going to have a freedom Retreat. Only people who've gone through our small groups this season will be allowed to actually go to that retreat. But it's a retreat of just connecting to God in a real way, in a deep way. We're going to have teams that we're going to bring in from other churches, pastors and leaders to come and pray with us to help set us free. Sometimes we don't know how to pray for these things in our lives. Let's grab some seasoned leaders to pray with us and help. But life is better in the context of team. Join a life group. How, pastor? Go to Connection Center. Sign up today. I want to lead us out in this prayer, and then our worship team is going to lead us in song, and we're going to build an altar unto God, worship Him. With boldness, would you just raise your hands to heaven? Amen. Mm. God, I thank you that you're so good. You are so good, and you're crazy about us, and you love us. In our depravity and in our sin, you sent Jesus to come and to die on the cross to save us. That's how crazy you are about us. And Lord, we recognize that left to ourself, left to our own devices, we gravitate towards sinful ways. Yes, your grace is sufficient for us, and we recognize that, but God, we, we want to do our part too. We want to be responsible. So we don't want to make excuses, God. We want to surrender to you today. Holy Spirit, right now, all throughout this auditorium and as well as those watching online, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would speak truth and your loving conviction would whisper your desires and your thoughts towards us. 
and that you'd reveal those things and those areas in our lives that you want to address. And I thank you that your grace is perfect and you are patient with us. I thank you that you are the author and the finisher. You didn't just start a work, but you finished it in us. So God, we say we surrender to you today. We say not our will, but your will be done. We don't want to be led by our own soul, our own emotions, our own feelings, but we want to be led by the Spirit of God. Lord, we turn the page to the yesterdays and we choose to renounce sins and sin habits and sin patterns and cyclical things in our lives that have kept us stuck. But we release our hearts and our will to you. Holy Spirit, we say, have your way in our lives. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth, here in this house as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Be the king of our lives in every area. Come and change us and transform us and cause us to be more and more like Jesus. We thank you, God, that you haven't quit on us. So we fully surrender to you even today. God, we respond to you not out of, uh, out of being forced or, or, or obligation, but we surrender because we say we need you. We need you today, God. We rely upon you today. God, even today, would you do a work in our lives as a pastor in this house? Father, I speak over the people of God today, freedom. I speak freedom. I speak people being unstuck. I speak people being loosed in the name of Jesus. Those chains that would keep people bound. Father, break every chain. Break the bondages. Break the mindsets. Break off those things that are unlike you, inconsistent with you. We want to live in freedom. We want to walk in freedom. We want to experience freedom. So Holy Spirit, we surrender fully to you. I thank you that you're the God of new beginnings. You're the God of a new beginning. Lord, let today be a day of new beginnings for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Worship. Let's worship together, team.